Well, good morning again. We want to uh, welcome you again. Uh, I want you to stand with me, if you will, and uh, we have one of those long texts today. And uh, here it is. I don't know how we're going to manage to get through the service with such a long text. Now, for those of you that are new to Glad Tidings, we have been in this series called Ten Words, which is on the Ten Commandments, also known as the Decalogue, but it literally means ten words. And uh, today we're looking at the Eighth Commandment, and it is, on the count of three, one, two, three. You shall not steal. You shall not. Let's pray. Father, again, we are humbled by your grace overwhelmed by your invitation to come boldly into your throne room. And we are so grateful and, uh, Lord, amazed at your extravagant exhibition of love in Jesus Christ. And for the work and the ministry of the Spirit in our lives that makes everything that you've done in Jesus possible, available, and applicable in our lives. And so we pray that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear. Lord, that you would give us minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and particularly as we go out of here, in our families, our marriages, our relationships, our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities. Lord, where it is that we work and are educated, where we get our services, that we would live out in tangible ways what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you be seated? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever stolen anything? What did you steal? You don't have to tell me. But what did you steal? And when did you steal it? And where were you when you stole it? And whose was it that you stole? Now, the Eighth Commandment is a basic commandment. Matter of fact, without the Eighth Commandment, we really can't have a civilized society. The Eighth Commandment is really the foundation of any society. Now, stealing, of course, obviously is a crime by the fact that it is a blatant action. But what about those actions that are not so blatant. You shall not steal, the text says. Now it is fairly obvious and straightforward what that means. Or is it? Technically, stealing is really taking the property of another person. It's stealing from another. Now, if you have ever stolen anything, you know the sense of guilt that you feel 
after you've stolen something. When I was six or seven years old, uh, we moved to Labrador City from Newfoundland, and in our family where I grew up, money was never ever seen. It was never seen. There was so little of it that it was never seen. But in the, the, we went to Lab City and we moved in with my aunt uh, for my aunt and my uncle for um, about six months. And they had some resources. And one day there was $5 sitting on the kitchen counter, which I borrowed. Now, I was only seven or eight, six, seven or eight, around there, real young. And I went down to the, to the convenience store by the name. Uh, the name of the convenience store was called Jubber's convenience store. Now the problem is that Mrs. Jubbers knew me and she knew my aunt. And I brought in my five dollars and I bought this huge bag of potato chips. But I knew that Mrs. Jubbers was going to call my aunt. And those were the worst tasting potato chips I have ever eaten in my life. Now, when it comes to stealing, we usually automatically think of tangible things like money or goods or valuables. But I was reading somewhere just a while ago, and I can't remember where, that the greatest loss to retailers is shoplifting. They lose the greatest amount of money because of shoplifting. Did you know that when Walmart in, in introduced and came up with the idea of Walmart greeters, did you know that originally they actually set that up to actually curb shoplifting? And it morphed into greeters. But let's consider some different kinds of stealing, just for thought's sake. What about employee theft, employee stealing? Uh, there's a story that somebody once told me about a man that worked in a large uh, company and uh, he was responsible for the uh, company's equipment, the smaller equipment. And um, every day he would leave the job site, um, not every day, but every now and then he would leave the job site and uh, he would have a wheelbarrow full of sand. The security guard would stop him, sift through the sand and to think that this guy is stealing something in the sand and didn't find anything and let them go on. So this went on for several weeks, but once a week, this guy would come through security with a wheelbarrow full of sand. And the security guard would sift their hands through it and find nothing and say, oh, go on. But then one day, another employee was told to go down to the supply depot and to get a wheelbarrow only to discover when he got there that all of the company's wheelbarrows had been stolen. James Patterson and Peter Kim conducted what is considered to be one of the largest surveys of morals ever taken, and they published the results. And this is what they discovered. They, just, they reported that the top five office crimes, taking office supplies... And stealing company funds was three and five. Now somehow, we, there is a rationalization, there is a justification that if theft occurs against an impersonal corporation, 
like the government or valet or Walmart or even the wealthy, it's okay, you know, because we've all been groomed under this Robin Hood legend. Steal from the rich and give to the poor. But somehow we think that we can justify taking something small or larger items from our employee, especially if it's a large cooperation, uh, cooperation, because they can afford it. And yes, they probably can afford it because we all know that most cooperations are greedy. But whether they're greedy or whether they can afford it or not is not the issue. It does not justify the stealing of something that belongs to the corporation or the employer that we work for. Howard Wheeler is a friend of mine from Barrie. And uh, he used to work as a supervisor at the Come By Chance oil refinery. Now, for those of you who don't understand Newfoundland, here it is. Come By Chance is actually a town. And it is called Come By Chance. There's also a place called Hibbs Hole, which I was at two years ago. And it's literally a hole. But this place called Come By Chance, a number of years ago, they uh, built a refinery there. And they bring up the oil from Venezuela. And ironically, they don't uh, refine Newfoundland oil there. They bring it up from Venezuela and they, re- and they refine the oil. And so anyway, um, Howard was a supervisor. And one of the things that was happening at the refinery is that the employees were stealing the rain gear. The company gave rain gear to everybody, but it got stolen all the time. So Howard and a bunch of his um, co-workers got together, management, and they decided what they were going to do is they were going to buy bright hot fuchsia pink rain gear and stamped across the back of it was the property of CBCOR, Come By Chance Oil Refinery. And they said, surely nobody would steal a hot fuchsia pink rain gear. Well, Howard told me one day he's watching CBC TV in the show called Land, um, Land and Sea. And he said, wouldn't you believe it? There were four guys out on a long liner and every one of them had hot fuchsia pink rain gear on with stamped on the back property of CBCOR. There you have it. Forbes magazine said that the largest single cost to business in North America is theft. And they went on to say that the greatest problem was the employees. But then they said this. They said, do we need better security? No. We need better people. What about stealing time? It seems to be the norm for employees that we start late, we leave early, We take longer coffee breaks than we're supposed to. It's interesting, going back to Peterson and Kim's survey, they they determined that the average worker frankly admitted in their survey, frankly admitted that they spent, the employees spent 20% of their time just goofing off at work. But I like something that William Hendricks said. William Hendricks said this, what, do we, what we do in the small issues of life set the stage for the bigger issues. What we do at the copier or on the phone or in front of the mail machine are important. 
And they set the stage for how we will respond to greater temptations that will come. It is also true that once we violate our conscience in an area, it is easier to do it the next time. And before long, our hearts become callous. Now, stealing, of course, has even broader applications. We live in a community of students, elementary, but particularly high school, college, and university. So what do we do about plagiarism? Plagiarism actually comes from the Latin word plagiarist, and it literally means, by the way, plagiarist in Latin literally means kidnapper. We all know what a kidnapper is. A kidnapper is somebody who steals another person's life. That's what it literally means. And a plagiarist is somebody who steals another writer's brainchild. Someone who plagiarizes, steals somebody else's material, somebody else's song, somebody else's writing. But then what about innocence? Innocence. I read a little while ago about a mother who taught her son to shoplift. And the reason why she taught her son to shoplift, her five-year-old son to shoplift, was because if he got caught, he would never be charged. She is guilty of stealing her child's innocence. When When one person seduces another person into sin. It's a theft. It's stealing. And Jesus is very direct and he is very clear about stealing somebody's innocence. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and be cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. But there's also other ways, of course, in which innocence is stolen. But I'm going to move on. What about stealing another person's character and reputation? It is incredible how reckless we can be about repeating stories about another person that may or may not be true, that are damaging to that person's reputation. A person's name, a person's reputation and character are often stolen through gossip. And once the words are out there, it is almost impossible to retract them. There is um, a line in Othello, the, in Shakespeare's play. Iago is speaking, and this is, what he read, this is what he says. Good name in man and woman, dear my Lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse, steals trash, tis something, nothing. T'was mine, tis is, has been slave to thousands. But he that felches from me my good name, 
robs me of that which not entices him and makes me poor indeed. To rob a person of their good name, character, and reputation is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. And how much damage has been done and how many lives have been ruined by gossiping tongues of thoughtless people. I mean, is there a theft greater than stealing another person's reputation and character? And then finally, what about sophisticated stealing, professional theft from pickpockets to bank robbers, organized crime, blackmail? But what about tax evasion? What about fraud and embezzlement? I like something Kent Hughes said. He said, in light of the immensity of the problem, are people concerned? As public policy, yes, but personally, no. You see, people have an endless capacity to condemn others while they excuse themselves in the same practice. Stealing is not just a crisis of our time. It is a crisis of morality. And the sad thing is that you and I, that we are infected and affected and contaminated more than we would like to admit. And that brings us to this. Stealing from ourselves. There's a Swedish parable that says, he who buys what he does not need steals from himself. Now, this is the challenge and the tension for us of living in a consumeristic culture. A consumer-based culture suggests the false idea that we are what we possess. Bruce Rittenhouse wrote a book called Shopping for Meaningful Lives. And he said this, Consumerism is not only a pattern of behavior that characterizes uh, characterizes an individual life, but a way in which an individual organizes his or her particular life to seek to give it meaning. And then Thomas O'Quinn said, Consumers are in an endless, hopeless search for happiness through the acquisition of things. We no longer shop for to fill the physical and the basic needs of our lives. What Rittenhouse is telling us is that we buy for, we spend for significance, and we buy for identification. That's why branding, that's why brand names have such a power in our culture. It's about significance. We are led to believe in this culture. That we are what we wear. That we are what we drive. We are what we eat. 
Wendell Berry, one of my favorite authors, says something that I left out of the notes because it can be a bit offensive. You ready? Wendell Berry calls salesmanship the craft of persuading people to buy what they do not need and do not want for more than it is worth. How's that for a form of stealing from ourselves? And then there's this. The tension between giving and getting. C.S. Lewis said that God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. Not because he needs to receive, but because he delights to give. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul wrote these magnificent words in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now the context of Paul's statement here in 2 Corinthians 8 The context is the astounding attitude and spirit of generosity and giving in the early church. And it goes something like this. God gives, and therefore his sons and daughters give because giving is a family trait. Stealing contradicts Christ and Christianity for many reasons, and one of those is generosity. Giving dethrones self. When I give, it dethrones me from being the center of the universe where my personal needs are the driving force behind my life. But the essence of the Christian faith is giving. The essence of stealing is getting And this is one of the challenges, one of the tensions of living in the consumer-based culture that you and I live in. Monroe Miller said, To be satisfied with little is difficult. To be satisfied with much is impossible. And then finally, that leads us to what I call the greatest sin of consumerism. The greatest sin of consumerism is this, because it is guilty of stealing our hearts. Is it wrong to have stuff? Is it wrong to have nice stuff? Is it wrong to have expensive stuff? No, of course not. That is not the point. Here's the point. It is not wrong to have nice things. It's not wrong to have expensive things. It is wrong when they have us. The heart. The heart. Your heart, my heart, is the core of our lives. The heart in the Bible is symbolically described as the real you, the real me. That body, intellect, emotions, and will are all united in our heart. That's why the proverb says what it says. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs 
of life. The Bible contains an expression that has to do with being manipulated as a way in which someone or something can steal our hearts or a way in which something or someone can manipulate and steal another person's heart. It comes to us from 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 6, where Absalom, who is David's son, is trying to lead a rebellion against King David, against his father, and he sets himself up as sort of the savior of the nation and everybody that comes to him. He is super nice to them and he is over-welcoming to them. And the Bible says... Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. By promising all kinds of niceties and being overly accepting of people who came to him, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And in in so doing... He laid the groundwork for his enterprise to dethrone his father, King David. But here's the issue with having our hearts stole by something or by someone. Particularly when it comes to consumerism. Ruth was telling me a couple of months ago, she was reading an article, that the new business... To be in now is storage units. Because Canadians have so much stuff that they do not, that we do not use, that we have to rent storage to put our stuff in. So I'm thinking, hey, maybe that's what we need to do. Build storage units. I'm just kidding. But that's what happens when we have too much stuff. And when we have too much stuff, it takes a lot of energy and resources and other things to keep it. So let me finish with this. How many of you know what a white elephant is? You know, uh, somebody sees this house that is a money pit, right? It's, you know, right? They call it a white elephant. Or if they, a vehicle that you know is a lemon and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to own it and fix it, it's called the white elephant. You know where it comes from? It comes from Thailand, actually, when Thailand was Siam. And what would happen is the king, when he had an enemy he wanted to torment, he would give them a white elephant. The receiver, of course, was obliged into oblivion. Any gift from the king had to be cared for meticulously, and it couldn't be sold or given away because obviously that would offend the king. And on top of that, a white elephant was considered sacred. So it required the best care, the best nourishment, and the best treatment. And soon, the extreme cost of caring for the gift drove the king's enemy to destitution and poverty. 
That's where it comes from. But listen to what Jesus said. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Pray with me. Father, whoever knew that the Ten Commandments could speak to us the way that they do? Whoever knew that 4,000 years ago, whatever it was, that Moses went up the mountain and got the Ten Commandments, that they would be as relevant in 2019 as they were 4,000 years ago? Lord, You know the joys and the burdens of what it means to live in Sudbury, in Ontario, in Canada, and in the Western world where we have affluence and resources. It's an incredible blessing, but it comes with an incredible burden. So Lord, I pray today that you will, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us individually because it's really nobody else's business what's going on in my life but mine. And it's really none of my business or anybody else's business what's going on in somebody else's life except them and you, of course. And so, Lord, you know us. You know our thoughts. You know our needs. And you know sometimes, Lord, that when we get what we get, it is more than we actually need and it becomes a burden to us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, afresh and new, that you would speak to us out of your word as you're doing, not just this morning, but this week and the next week and next month and the month after that. And we commit ourselves to you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.